0: Welcome to Language Chats. This is a podcast for language lovers in Australia and beyond, where we share our experiences as well as stories from other Australians of learning, working with and using other languages. I'm Penny.
1: And I'm Beck, And we have another guest with us today. Yay. We love guests. We love Yay. having people with us on the show to chat with us. Um, and today our guest is Margot Joss. Welcome, Margot.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me here.
1: <laughs> um we're very excited to have you with us because we're going to be talking to you about teaching Australians and what it's like to teach Australians another language, um, among other things. So, We're going to talk to you about a few other things as well. Um, but maybe you could introduce yourself to, to everybody and tell us a little bit about how you became, well, how you came to Australia, um, and also just a little bit of background on yourself.
2: Yeah, thanks, Peck uh, So I'm Margot, and I've been teaching French in Australia for about uh, six years now, I think. And yeah, that's about it. Originally, I'm from, I'm from the south of France, Aix-en-Provence, um, that's, yeah, in the southeast of France, and what what brought you <laughs> to Australia originally how did you end oh, up here it's a love story I mean yeah oh <laughs> that's what brought me to Australia um I actually originally oh that's why I stayed because originally I came just for a year and uh suddenly you wake up and it's six years later and you're still here yay
1: we're happy <laughs> about that <laughs> I know we're, we're, we're better off having you here really so Could you tell us a little bit about how you became, how you decided to become a teacher um, and what led you to teaching your mother tongue to other people?
2: Yeah. Um, Well, I knew I was interested in languages and education, but that was about it. So I considered working as a speech therapist. Um, I considered working as an academic in linguistics um, in many, many other fields Um, But I feel like I never really made the conscious choice of becoming a French teacher. It just happened. Um, Yeah, so I might teach other languages in the future. I might work in other, um, other fields, education policy, I don't know. Um, we'll see what happens so did you did
0: you study study teaching and study French teaching as as kind of like a a default career option or was it something that you were drawn to because it would be a great career for travel I always think you know wouldn't it be great because (laughs) these type of jobs can can move with us as we Mm. move around the world
2: um yeah it it happened but I didn't make this a decision so originally I studied linguistics just because I was interested in languages. And then, you know, after three years, I was like, okay, so now what do I do with this linguistics degree? And um, I could continue in applied linguistics, which was basically teaching, well, French or teaching languages. Uh, And I was thinking that this sounds like an actual job It sounds something quite concrete, something that could be interesting. So I might try and do that. But that's what I did and uh, yeah I'm happy that I did that
1: what were your what were your first experiences of teaching like how what kind of what kind of start was it as a career
2: Oh good question um, <laughs> I just I remember being really stressed because um, in my studies I had learned a lot about um, how to prepare for a class you know how the the class was on paper, but once I was once I entered the classroom for the first time, I had no idea where I had to be. <laughs> so, I didn't know if I had mm. to be, you know, close to the students or far, or should I start by saying hello in English or in French? I didn't know. So, I was really stressed about those kind of things.
1: When you when you first started teaching in Australia, when you arrived here, what did you have any particular impressions of the way that students reacted or how they responded perhaps in class? Were they, were they different to what you expected?
2: Um, that's an interesting question, but I think I didn't really have any expectations because um, I hadn't taught much uh, prior to coming to Australia. So the Australian audience is kind of my reference now.
1: I feel like you're the, you're, you are the perfect teacher for us to speak to. <laughs>
0: um, so I guess it's, I mean, because you've taught Australian students for the majority of your career, I guess it's hard to think about in terms of are there any differences between Australian students approach to learning french or learning a second language versus maybe students from another another country it's probably hard for us to kind of think about if there are any differences but um Beck and I've talked about this on the podcast before that you know Australians we're not that well known for learning second languages and not that well known for having awesome <laughs> awesome second language skills have you, Sadly. have you? I know. Have you come up against this kind of perception or this kind of barrier or this? It's really a mindset, I suppose. Have you come up against that in your career teaching?
2: Here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I don't think that you know Australians are bad at learning languages. Um, I feel like this is really a stereotype and it's also very important to me to break down stereotypes so that's probably not true uh, however I think many people believe that they're bad with languages and um, but in I feel like it's mainly due to education policy or I'm not sure about other states but here in Victoria students would generally do a semester of Indonesian a semester of semester of Italian for example but, you're not necessarily encouraged to, to stick um, to one language uh, for the long term. Have you had this experience? Yes, for sure. <laughs> mm. Yes, we yeah. have talked about this before. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a bit of a shame. Look, some, some schools or some students um, offer continuity and can stick to one language, but especially considering the number of Indigenous languages you have here in Australia, I feel like um, you could really encourage continuity in a feeling of being good at languages i think um going
0: back to your point about education policy and the continuity between what kids are exposed to and what they're encouraged to stick at is something that again we've we've talked about haven't we beck like just how even our own experiences of language learning at school was um i mean in some ways you know we did have continuity, but we also did have a bit of chopping and changing with other languages um, being thrown in as options, which is cool. It's good to have options, right? Mm. But I love this idea of, you know, um, a child being kind of exposed to something and being kind of nurtured throughout their schooling and being able to grow into this awesome language lover, yeah. whether or not they can actually say a sentence or not it doesn't really matter as long as they've got like a, a love and appreciation for learning
2: a language I think that would be something really cool yeah I- ideally yeah absolutely. ideally you'd have a bit of both um maybe exposure to many different languages and at the same time that sort of continuity with one of them mm. perhaps we should
1: open <laughs> a school back <laughs> <laughs> we are not committing to that on a podcast <laughs> no <laughs> but no like I totally I completely agree I mean I think I was and like we've talked about my experiences on the podcast before with French but like I was quite lucky in having a really consistent exposure to French throughout my education and that meant that even though I actually didn't enjoy it very much to begin with it was still there along the way (laughs) like it kind of um you know it was just it was always around and it meant that by the time that I did actually find it interesting and want to keep going with it, it hadn't disappeared from view. Um, So I think you make a really good point about like the consistency of having, you know, potentially one, maybe more, languages available um, would make a really big difference. But for lots of people having that chopping and changing um, with potentially a few different languages or maybe just like only small periods of time where they focus on one or two who knows um can really impact their own perception of whether or not they think that that's a skill that they're good at um but it may just be that they didn't actually have a lot of time or a lot of exposure to kind of get good at it or get interested in it yeah. perhaps so margo i'm guessing that you
0: have also taught french to adults here in australia as well is that correct? yeah
2: look i've taught to Children, high school students, university students, adults, professionals, everyone. (laughs) So have you
0: had, you know, I guess students come to learning French in their adulthood for a myriad of different reasons with so many different motivations? What kind of, I guess, motivations have you seen people turn up to your class in and, and does that affect, I guess, the way that they interact and the way they apply themselves to learning French have you noticed that
2: yes in Australia in my experience um, there's adults are learning either for traveling um, or for work so that that are the two main reasons that adults would be learning French um, in in Australia in my experience Um, but French has kind of an upper-class chic um, image in Australia um, so yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the time people would, um, would come to class with expectations of, um, the language reflecting the, this idea that they have. So I guess, yeah. So French maybe attracts, um, people who not, they don't necessarily, they don't necessarily belong to this upper class category, but that is something that, um, attracts them to, to learning French.
1: So it's sort of like a like an aspirational um, kind of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah maybe, I mean. absolutely, yeah. Um, mm.
1: Do you think that some of those motivations, like in, in the course of time that you have been teaching in Australia, have some of those motivations changed at all? Like have you noticed that with, especially with the pandemic over the last couple of years, um, you know, has when there aren't as many people sort of having a, a trip immediately in mind,
2: for example,
1: have the reasons that they've decided to learn French or the reasons that they've decided to continue learning French, have they changed?
2: Look, I sort of expected, um, you know, the, the number of uh, French learners to drop um, with the pandemics, but it didn't. And um, I think, yeah, people really wanted to continue to travel through learning a language. Um, so that's been great. That That hasn't changed. Um, and we're talking for adults. For high school students, for example, they're still learning to get a good ATO score. Oh, this hasn't changed. Mm-hmm.
0: When when you think through your experience of, of teaching French, um, can you, I guess, does anything come to mind around what are some of the greatest struggles that students face mm-hmm. Um what students worry about, what things they feel good at or what things they feel not so good at. Is there some kind of, I guess, you know, without making
2: huge generalisation, <laughs> is there such a generalisation that you can make? <laughs> oh, wow. So, um, yeah, like I said, I've talked to different uh, audiences before and it's kind of difficult to draw similarities um, across the board, but I might just answer for adult learners Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, Australians are not scared of making mistakes and that's my favorite thing Um, because in my experience of a French person learning English, um, I was really, really scared of making mistakes. I didn't want to talk and I feel like it's less the case uh, here in Australia.
1: That's a really really interesting point because I would not have necessarily said that I do think that Australians are often very confident <laughs> like like confident bordering on cocky sometimes but that's great um, when you
2: learn a language but
1: I know which is great when you learn a language it's so funny though because I think it's sometimes in in your experience as a student um you know if you're somebody who or especially if you are somebody who is kind of often a confident person in the room who likes to talk then you really notice when other people don't um and so I always notice that a lot I notice when there are people who are very who who don't want to speak and are very scared um but interesting that you say that there's probably more people who are who are confident because I think that's great Mm -hmm. there you go Australians (laughs) yeah
0: I'm really I'm happy to hear that too because I I agree Beck. i I I wouldn't have necessarily expected that as a kind of a general thing either, but I really love that that's what you found, that, you know, your students are willing to give it a go because I think that is like the whole crux of learning a language. You've got to be willing to give it a go. Otherwise,
1: you don't get anywhere. I know. I'm starting to think that maybe this is just because we're the loud people in the classroom, Betty.
0: (laughs) Do you know what, though? I'm thinking back to my my. Chinese group classes, which is the most kind of recent group class setting that I've done as an adult, and that was here in, in Melbourne. And I wasn't – I was probably like middle of the road, like mm. not too not too loud but not super quiet either. Mm. Okay. Because I think I, I still have this thing, like I don't want to get it wrong. Ah, or, yes. You know, but I'm also willing to get it wrong when I'm, you know – 60, 70% sure that I might not get it wrong.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, when, when I was, so, was learning English in France, um, actually we, we wouldn't even try and say the words properly because if you said, if you said a word with what was considered a good, a good English accent, then um, the other students would laugh at you and say, oh, you're showing off. Mm. oh yeah so I haven't found that here so I love that
0: yeah (laughs) Oh, that's good so do you think that experience then of learning English and I guess feeling like that maybe that you were kind of self-censoring or you know doubting what you could say in class has that has that actually left a, a mark on you do you feel not damaged or anything, but has that kind of influenced the way that you learn English and therefore can relate to other le- learners who you are now teaching?
2: Um, interesting. Look, like I think the main thing that I took from learning English into teaching French or teaching a language is that it's a lifelong journey and that's actually um, something that I find my students have trouble dealing with is um, their expectations. And um, when you have never learned a language before, you might think that, you know, it's like when I start a new activity, I might be able to learn it or progress very quickly. But maybe not. It might not be the case with uh, with language learning and um Often I get asked, what's your best tip? Uh, what, what, how did you learn English? How can you speak English now? And I'm like, it's time. A big component is time. Yeah, that's exactly right. Just a
1: lot of time. <laughs> Talking about time, can I ask you as well,
0: when did you first start learning English? Were you like a a child or
2: was this in adulthood? Or- um. I think it was just at primary school. We, you know, we were mm. just learning um, colours, numbers, uh, those kind of things in primary school, and then I had proper um, English lessons starting um, at about eleven, twelve years old, and then all through high school. Okay. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, your English is supreme. It's fantastic. oh come on. <laughs> Although having lived in Australia, I, well, it is. <laughs> <laughs> i agree but as you said it does these things just really do take a lot of time how when when your students do ask you for you for your best tip um you know to to get to improve their french um and when they do seem i suppose maybe a bit frustrated that it will take them a long time to to, to learn a language to to get better at a language do you have any, any ways of trying to help them understand that concept of, you know, that this is a lifelong journey, as you said, because it really is.
2: Yeah. Look, I feel like, um, uh, any tip I can give them has not much to do with languages actually, because it's more helping them how to deal with frustration and, yeah, you can experience frustration in 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 many aspects of life. And what I generally try to do is make them think of a time in their life, not in language learning, but any other context where they've experienced frustration, and how do they how did they deal with it, um, and try and apply that to their language learning experience, like learning how to
0: ride a bike or learning how to ski down a mountain. Yeah, absolutely. Or...
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
1: because <laughs> I mean there's no that's a that's a really good way of thinking about it yeah there's no
2: there's no magic way of you know suddenly speaking French tomorrow so
1: I suppose as well to liken it I really like that that you you liken it to some another frustration mm. like mm. something else in your life that isn't necessarily learning a language because I think the other thing is that for lots of people learning a language feels like a very a very academic thing pursuit in some ways, like it reminds them of school, you know, oftentimes their learning happens in a classroom. Um, whereas realistically, a lot of what learning a language is, is like talking and then interacting with other people and kind of learning how to make these sounds with your mouth and putting yourself out there, which are really very physical. Absolutely. Things. Social. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and very social. Absolutely,
2: 100%. Um, and actually, Sometimes I would get students in uh, my class who are used to be the best in their field. You know, they might be academics, they might be doctors, engineers. They used to really understand everything straight away. And what I find interesting with language learning is that it puts everyone at the same level. So it's kind of a very humbling experience. So you might have someone who is absolutely not used to the classroom but is an excellent communicator and can interact with people very well and this person is going to put themselves out there and be a great speaker I really love that too about language learning is that
0: I guess no matter where you kind of fit on that continuum whether you feel like you're you know you're a high achiever or you're kind of just like an everyday just kind of you know get things done kind of person that with it, with learning a language, you can find your kind of spot. So you might end up being, like you said, a really great communicator, willing to give it a go. And so your your oral, your spoken French or another language becomes really great. Whereas someone else might just love love reading so much that that's their thing, and so their their written and their their kind of comprehension skills becomes their awesome zone of, of yeah. genius. I really like that because um, I guess it just means that, you know, not everyone's the same and that we can kind of carve out a little spot where we where we neatly Yeah,
2: fit. and that's what I love about the classroom as well because, uh, of course, there's lots of different different ways of, of learning a language um, with a teacher or not, in a group or not. But in a classroom, sometimes you get that really um, interesting energy where – You have the good communicators, you have the good readers um, and everyone, you know, if you have 10 different brains working together, we can achieve great communication. I love it. I really love that about the classroom vibe too. And I reckon it is something that
0: I miss is being able to see other people's strengths, which are different to mine and going, wow, that is so amazing what that person just did or said or wrote because... I would never have thought of it, or would never have done that way, and then, vice versa, someone might say something about me as well. And I think that is—that's a really good point. That it is a really nice environment when that happens, and everyone's kind of operating in their in their zone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of classrooms, Margot, how have you found the the differences, and I suppose the transitions um, between? physical in-person classroom learning, which I'm guessing probably made up the vast majority of the the early part of your career, and the more recent um, shift for a lot of classes to go online.
2: Oh, so that, yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that takes me back to, when was it that we, we switched to online learning in Australia? I think it was uh, March 2020. And uh, I remember we had to, to switch from the, the classroom to, to Zoom in about a week or so. And um, at the time, I had to both, well, teach myself how to teach online and teach my colleagues or the teachers that I was w- working with how to teach online. Um, so it was, it was definitely an intense uh, period of time um but but it's great I think it's it's good that we have both now
1: do you think that people students um have responded well to to being in online classes I'm guessing it like I mean I know again as a, as a, a learner I know that I've had quite like varied experiences of, of in class classroom and um online learning but you know do you you think that people kind of came to the party um so to speak with with online learning and do they interact in a different in a different way
2: yes yes they do especially at the beginning when you know people were not too sure about the technology um and people kept interrupting each other and that still happens um to a certain extent um but I feel like by now, students uh, have got u- gotten used to the technology and to uh, not interrupt um, anyone else. Um, it still feels like it's not the same vibe as in person though. So with the convenience,
0: because it is really convenient it to is. learn online, there is the downside of, of missing that kind of that interaction, like you were saying, the vibe and the ability to bounce off the other students' um, but I guess there's always pros and cons of every approach, isn't there? It's just like, oh, what is hmm. what is it this that's time? It, that's it. Um,
2: no, there's not one better than the other. I think it's, it's good that we have both. Now all teachers across the world are competent in teaching both online and in person. And I think that's great.
0: Yeah. And therefore students have the choice too, which is that's kind of it. nice as
1: well. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of it's I feel like we do have better solutions for everyone now, which is which is a really good thing for kind of education in general. Um, I suppose just like anything else, it's like, well, you don't always want it a hundred percent in one direction or a hundred percent in the other, but it's nice to have the benefits of technology, for example, while also having some of the benefits of more traditional ways of teaching.
0: And I think from a place like Australia too, it's just being able to access classes and teachers like yourself that you know if you're living in a remote rural place you wouldn't never have the chance to attend a French class in person so how nice is it that now that you potentially do have the chance via your computer.
2: (laughs) Actually I had lots of uh, students from uh, regional Victoria for example um, yeah who otherwise wouldn't have had the chance to to access uh, French lessons.
1: Now I have
2: I have a question for you. Yes.
1: Um, and it's going to be about we, – we may be stepping a little bit into the world of stereotypes here, but indulge me. Um, so Penny and I have spoken on many occasions about grammar. <laughs> Penny's hatred of grammar, my love of it. <laughs> um, as, as a teacher to Australians, um, how, how do you find – Australian students in the classroom responding to the whole concept of grammar you know are people very scared of it do you think you know again we don't always have a very good reputation for being good at grammar or even knowing English grammar terribly well Um, and sometimes that can perhaps impact the way we deal with trying to learn grammar in other languages. What's your experience of that been in in classrooms full of australians uh, look
2: Beck, I was hoping that you would bring up the topic and that you would ask this question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I love this question, especially because um well as a as a student and as a language learner, I love grammar. But as a teacher, I hate grammar. <laughs> And, yeah, and I think Becky, you all know that I'm about a less sort of grammar focused approach, um, especially because I've noticed that um, my students in Australia don't particularly like it. I feel like there's, there is one generation of Australians who have um, learned grammar uh, in school, but that's, that's probably only a, a really small um, portion of, of my students. And most of them haven't, therefore they don't feel comfortable with it. They struggle with it. Um, and yeah, I'm all about finding ways of not really talking about grammar. while still talking about grammar.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you sound like you do, you sound like my kind of teacher.
1: I <laughs> feel <laughs> so how how do you how do you do that? How do you deal with grammar and how do you teach people grammar without really? making them feel like it's grammar
2: (laughs) well it it depends on which environment you're teaching you know it would depend on the school or or the university or, or wherever you're teaching but you don't necessarily have to use all the fancy words um I'd like to get my students to understand and draw similarities between um concepts or and then sort of making them realise by themselves that oh this is what's happening here. It doesn't matter if it's called a pronoun or an adverb or anything, you don't actually need to know that. It's like I don't know, if you if your leg hurts, you don't need to know necessarily which you know, bone hurts. You just know that your leg hurts. And that's it. Look,
1: well, you're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> as well as you don't always need to like sometimes we probably delve too too deep into the technicalities um, of kind of the language of language is that if, if does that make sense um, and and I think as you say like a lot of people are quite scared off by that very technical sounding. Um, those technical sounding words to describe parts of
2: speech. Yeah, and I still, I mean, I to me, I understand, you know, this lingo um, but I also understand that not everyone likes it and I like to have kind of a double approach where I'll start, you know, the, the class without any, any specific uh, words, any specific grammar and then if someone really wants labels I'll be like yeah okay I'll give it to you I'll give you your label this is a pronoun (laughs) or this is a verb or if you need it if you feel like you need it for for you I'll give it to you but you don't need it
0: I think that that takes a bit of the um the fear and the kind of mystery out of it for people for the learners I think because I think a lot of it is like the fear of the the fear of the unknown, or the fear, like you were saying back, the fear of the the technical that mm. puts that puts people off. Yeah, so I like that approach.
1: <laughs> but it, like, I think it can be quite intimidating, right? It's mm. sort of that the you know, I'm, I'm not not they're not necessarily like long words um, to describe parts of language, but they they can seem so technical that they do seem foreign, and because they aren't really things that we learn at school you know we we don't often learn all of those different kinds of words you know there's no need for a, an english speaker really to know what a participle is <laughs> cuz we that's not how we formulate our language in the same way it's not how we learn it and then when those kinds of words turn up in learning another language they can be very intimidating
0: yeah. Oh, for sure, because it's it's the word's in English, right? And we don't even know what it means. That's
2: right, exactly. (laughs) And then I've had a a student one day, um, you know, reciting me what they had learned at school, which was um, a verb is a doing word. And I feel like, Mm. you know, uh, all students in Australia sort of know or remember these these sentences. And a verb is a doing word, yes. But then we were talking about the verb to sleep. And my student was like, "But when I sleep, I don't do anything. How is that a verb?"
1: <laughs> oh, oh, bless! I know. That's what I was going <laughs> to say. That's really cute. But you make a very good point. <laughs> oh. oh, that's so yeah. A bit of a bit of a flaw of the um, the old verb is a doing word description. Um, so
0: I was going to say, Margo, if you think back to your kind of schooling environment in France from a French grammar perspective, do you think your schooling, your environment there, spent a fair bit of time on the grammar and the structure of French as the language, which therefore kind of helped you learn English and other languages?
2: Look, I feel like it it did help me um, because I responded to it very well. I was already really interested in Um, well, my own language and languages in general. Um, However, it wasn't necessarily the case for my classmates. Some people didn't really respond to this or or were really afraid of grammar as well. So for me personally, yes, but not for everyone.
0: Okay. Mm Yeah. Cool. That's interesting. Mm,
1: Yeah, fair enough. Um, What about sort of cultural differences um, in your teaching experiences here in Australia. Have you noticed any any very, I suppose, perhaps specific or maybe even just general ways that maybe Australians act differently in a classroom or they, you know, have different, ex- I suppose we've talked about expectations a little bit, but your your physical like kind of cultural communication between students, have you noticed anything there with Australians that's been
2: quite particular? Um. Look, I feel like, actually, I have a theory about that. I feel like, okay, if you're an English speaker in Australia and you start learning, let's say, Vietnamese, to take your example, Penny, um, I feel like you expect um, cultural differences or you maybe expect your teacher, if your teacher is Vietnamese, to um, explain some cultural differences to you. Um, But when you start learning French, I find that most people think the two cultures are probably similar enough that they don't really anticipate that there would be cultural differences. Um, So, yeah, so what I found is uh, things like uh, interrupting each other, which is very, very common for me. Um, And in, in France, at least, it's not seen as rude or impolite at all. Uh, But it is here, and I've probably, you know, um, came across as very rude because I've interrupted people in the classroom or in other contexts uh, just because that's what I'm used to do. (laughs) And again, I also tell my students, look, when you actually travel to France or if you find yourself in a debate with French people, please interrupt them um, because that's how you're going to be respected. (laughs)
1: Do you find that there's a difference in directness as well? Because that's that's always something that I have also noticed between Australians and French people. I find French people very very direct, almost to the point of like brutality um, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas like Australians will really tiptoe around things. Like we're almost like hyper polite um, in in especially customer service type situation. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So we're, I mean, we're out of the classroom now, but, um, but yeah, <laughs> in uh, <laughs> in real life uh, situations, um, absolutely. And yeah, that's also a tip that I would give to my students if you want to um, get your point across. or so if you want to obtain what you want, for example, you're referring to a customer service situation, you need to be direct in France and, I tell my Australian students, yeah, that if they want to get this um, item refunded, they need to be direct. Otherwise, it won't happen.
1: <laughs> no use trying to literally translate. It would be nice if I could perhaps maybe have a refund, like just maybe if that was <laughs> yeah, possible. Yeah,
0: no, you're not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though that there are – uh, well, this is just maybe my observation, but there are some similarities though in the way that we approach these kind of everyday insignificant kind of interactions. Like we're very, well, this is just my opinion, but like, you know, the hello, how are you? Thank you so much. Have a nice day. Have a great weekend with people we don't know. And I don't know because that's mm. that's that's true in France, right, as well, right? I yeah,
2: correct? small talk exists in France too, yeah. <laughs>
0: So, cause that's not, that doesn't happen everywhere yeah. <laughs> that, you know, cause I feel like Australians and perhaps French people as well are similar that we do go full on with the small talk <laughs> and,
1: <laughs>
0: and I think a lot of people who come here and maybe to France as well go, why people who I don't know wishing me a nice weekend? Like, <laughs> I don't know you. <laughs>
2: I know,
1: <laughs> can you think of a particular example, penny like or a particular culture where this has been where you've observed this? well like a, is this from a direct experience
0: it's I think it's it's from my experience like being in France where I've you know had those kind of interactions, I'm just thinking in shops mostly mm. to be honest, where it felt really natural. I guess as someone who always says that stuff in shops here as well, because I'm I'm a Mm -hmm. very polite person and I don't mind a (laughs) chat either. So there you go, the two go hand in hand. Um, (laughs) But in other places, it's, and I I know I'm thinking maybe from an Asian perspective as well, like it Mm. is, there is a different way of of going about those kind of service interactions where perhaps you're there, you're just there to do a transaction, you don't need to make those kind of, niceties exactly Mm. and even just saying thank you you know the word thank you in in say Chinese or Vietnamese is not actually very commonly said so (laughs) foreigners will say it all the time but the average Chinese or Vietnamese person might not say thank you all that often but doesn't mean that you know being rude it's just culturally Mm. not seen as something
1: you need to say yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. Because and and a great example. Because I I often think that Australians are like at the hyper like casual yeah. and sort of polite end of the scale. Like not polite in the same not 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 the same kind of like politeness that I think you might see in the UK, for example. We're also like very extreme politeness, but a little bit different. Because I I do feel like Australians are very 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 casual in the way that we. Interact with often people we don't know at all. Like we have no no knowledge of them prior, um, and yet we we can very quickly like be treating them like we've known them for a very long time.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and and, um, that,
1: and that I don't think we'd get. I don't think you'd get that in France though. Yeah,
2: that's right. And actually, if you've learned um, French, you know, in Australia, and you actually take that casual ness to France, um (laughs) I guess you you won't be you won't be liked uh you'd be seen as Mm. really rude so and that's something that you don't really anticipate if you haven't been um you know um interacting with many French people or even if you've only been interacting with uh, French people that have lived in Australia for a while I mean I'm very casual now but I didn't Mm. used to be um so yeah that's the the type of little things that you need to know, someone needs to tell you because you don't really anticipate them. Mm.
1: And something something else that I guess is relevant here is that like in the way we use English in Australia, I suppose, we don't we have no sense of register, really. Like we we don't distinguish in the way that we um, necessarily speak to somebody who has like higher seniority. Than us for example or you know and how we speak to a child or a random person in a shop um like all of those things can hover around a certain level of friendliness um and only maybe tone and like slight changes in vocabulary will change the ways that we sound speaking in those different contexts whereas in french um it can be quite different because there is genuinely like built into the language different register for if you are speaking to somebody who you don't know um, or who is more senior than you, whether that's in a work contest context or just in age, really, um, and that's and that's very much built into the language itself. Like Margot, do you do you find that in? dealing with that concept of when to use vous and tu. um, For Australian students, do they find that really difficult? I always do. (laughs) I still do.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they do. Well, look, my my standard answer would be um, start with vous, so start with the formal option until someone tells you to switch to tu and then you're fine. Uh, But... You know, there's always going to be, even as a native French speaker, there's always going to be situations where you're like, oh, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Should I be using (laughs) tu or vous? I'm not sure. (laughs) So even
0: as a native speaker, sometimes you're not sure. Oh,
2: absolutely. And, you know, even with with the gender of of nouns, I remember students asking, you know, should it be masculine or feminine? And sometimes as French speakers, we don't know, like new words um, in the language both from mm. other languages so sometimes even uh, as french speakers we, we don't know so don't panic <laughs> it
1: gives See, us all some hope
2: it
0: does it's a really nice you know uh, you know take a deep breath everyone it's all going to be okay
1: <laughs> yeah, Exactly. is this the time to bring off the 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 um <laughs> the, the le la covid um debate <laughs> oh, yeah yeah <laughs> We might have to pop a link in the show notes to, um, to the background yeah, for anybody who's interested it. in how it is that the French can decide or debate or kind of, I don't know, start using one thing and then the Académie française says something else um, on whether or not something is masculine or feminine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Margot, I've really loved our chat with you today in this episode. Thank you so much for giving up your time and, and coming to chat with us on Language chat. Oh, chats. thank you so much, Penny. Thank you, Beck.
1: It's been so lovely to have you. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to chat with us. And we are, hope that all of you out there have also enjoyed um, this, well, hearing Maga tell you about what it's like to teach Australians um, and some of her points of view on on that experience. Um, you can, of course, um Find us online on Facebook where Language Lovers AU. Um, do feel free to join our Facebook group as well, Language Lovers AU Community. That's where you can find other Australians who are interested in language just like we are. Um, and you can also find us on Instagram at languagelovers.au. And if you have any uh, f- French lovers in
0: your life, feel free to share this episode with them. They may find some useful info in here as well. And we will catch you in another fortnight for another episode of Language Chats. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.